Well, good morning, saints and guests, uh, and also happy uh, Black History Month. Uh, this is a time, if if you uh, don't know much about black history, this is an opportunity to, to go research some people that you may not know of. Most of us are familiar with MIK, but there's other figures in the history of my people in this country that have made great contributions to our nation. So use this time to learn about them and to get an understanding of, you know, some better understanding of black history in, in our country. So I encourage you to do that. And also, um, flock note. Uh, this was not in the announcements. Flock note is the way that which we are going to mainly communicate with the church. Communication has always been a struggle here at the Village Church. So, so ever since I've been here, and so we're going to try to do all forms of communication through Flock Note. And if you are a guest and you want to be part of Flock Note, just email Cynthia Mann at Cynthia Mann at inter, Cynthia at EnterTheVillage.net, Cynthia at EnterTheVillage.net, so you can sign up to receive communications from the church. So if you're a member of the Village Church and your information of Flock Note is not updated, please go make sure your right number, your right email address are all updated. So that's how we're going to communicate information with you moving forward. Um, so it is our intent to communicate clearly because as one of my favorite authors says, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. So it is our intent to be clear in our communications uh, to our church body. So with that said, let us move forward with the sermon today. The Sermon on the Mount is filled with kingdom convictions. And these convictions, they lead to human flourishing in the here and now. The Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7, these are kingdom convictions that Christ has given to his people. And these convictions lead to human flourishing in the here and now. Author Jonathan Pennington says in his book on the Sermon on the Mount says, the Sermon on the Mount is not law. Please take that in. Some of us look at the Sermon on the Mount and we think Jesus has given us new law to follow. The Sermon on the Mount is not law that makes you see, that makes us see our need for the gospel. Whether it's wisdom from God. The Sermon on the Mount is wisdom from God inviting us through faith to reorient our values, visions, and habits from the ways of external righteousness to wholeheartedness towards God. Do you hear what he's saying here? The Sermon on the Mount is it's reorienting, reorienting our values and, and visions and habits away from external righteousness to wholeheartedness towards God. This is not law, but gospel. Jesus is inviting each of us into life in God's kingdom, both now and in the future age. This is grace. This is grace. If you read the Sermon on the Mount and all you see is law, then you really do not understand the gospel. And the issue is not with the good book. The issue is with your heart. And this grace continues today in Matthew 6, verses 7 through 15. The title of this sermon is Prayer is a Way of Wholeness. Prayer is a Way of Wholeness. So please pray with and for me. 
Holy Spirit, once again, we have gathered here to worship in spirit and in truth. And once again, we are in need of you to speak to our hearts and to speak to our minds. We have no understanding of scripture if you don't move. And we need to believe that. If you're not moving, then we're not going to understand rightly. If you're not moving, then we're not going to pray rightly. So, Holy Spirit, will you please be the counselor? Will you please be our advocate? Will you please descend? Will you please minister? So we place ourselves on the mercy seat of Christ and and our arms are wide open and, and we're crying out to you, Holy Spirit. We have no agenda. Open up our hearts. Open up our minds. That there's so much in this good book that we don't understand. We think we know it all. We think we got we think we got this Christianity down pat. We do not. We do not. Give us the humility that we need. Destroy our pride and our self-righteousness. And draw us closer to you, and you draw us closer to the Father and to the Son. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Christians do not have a monopoly on prayer. It's not a unique spiritual practice just for believers in Christ only. Prayer is really universal. It's practiced by believers from other faith traditions. I hope you know that. We're not the only ones who pray. It's practiced by people who will call themselves spiritualists. Like they don't really believe in a, in a higher power, but, but they are the spiritual people, and they have their own form of prayer. Even some atheists practice prayer. How about that? One, one philosophy professor says this. He writes this in an article that I read this week. One does not need to believe in God for prayer to work. One does not need to believe in God for prayer to work. Think about that. For the atheists such as myself, there's, there's no great chance that God is listening or will respond. But that does not matter. Prayer for the atheist can be like singing in the car or in the shower. No one is listening, and that is just fine. Is it really fine? Not for Jesus. And it shouldn't be fine for his people. See, Jesus knows that prayer is a universal spiritual practice. That's why he makes the distinction between the prayers of his people and the prayers from people who don't know him in saving faith. Because in the, these verses before us, he provides a negative and a positive aspect of prayer. The, the negative aspect of prayer is, is not praying like the Gentiles. Look at verse 7. He says to us and his the original 12 disciples, When y'all pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. The term Gentile refers to people who worship false gods and, and, and idols. They heap up um, repetitive, empty phrases over and over again, praying lengthy and and wordy prayers, which become senseless senseless babble. They assume the form and the format of their prayer is the reason why their prayer will be heard. They got to pray the right way. You see, it's up to them on whether or not their God hears their prayer. It's up to them to say the right words, to have the right technique in their prayer if their God is going to hear it. 
one Christian says, pagans, the pagan uses many words because he's bewildered. Have I found the right God? He is anxious. Does this God know my need? And he is devious. How long will it take for me to wear this God down? Remember what happened to on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18. What happened to the Baal prophets in 1 Kings 18? They cried to Baal from early in the morning until noon. They were begging. They were pleading for him to come down and light the fire. They shouted. They danced. They even cut themselves in attempts to get Baal's attention. But did Baal ever come down? Did he ever respond to them? No, he never came. Do y'all know why the prayers of, of pagans are never answered? Do you know why? It's because the object of their prayer is nothing more than an impersonal, non-engaging wooden idol. Prayer, just like faith, is dependent upon a source. Okay? The source of one's faith makes the difference. And whom you pray to makes a difference. If the object of your prayer is worthless, then so are the prayers you offer up. Period. To whom are you praying, Christian? To whom are you praying? When you bow the head each day, each night, each morning, to whom are you praying? If you're not a Christian, your prayers are not being heard. I know that may be offensive, but they're not. Because you're, you're, you're praying to a source that has a mouth but does not speak, a source that has eyes but, does, but doesn't see you, a source that has ears but doesn't hear you. You see, meditations and breathing techniques, they, they will relieve your stress, but they'll never heal the deep needs of your heart. I don't care how much yoga you do. Your heart will remain restless until it finds rest in Christ. I don't care how many retreats you go on, where you go to find your peace of mind, your heart will remain restless until it's resting in the hands of Christ. Period. For Jesus is the way of everlasting life and rest. His hands are extending out to you. Not so y'all can go walk up and down the beach together. I walk through the park together. His hands are extending out to you to redeem you. He wants to, to, he wants to receive. He wants you to receive him as Lord and Savior. He wants to, to cover your sins with his blood that was shed on Calvary. So do you believe it? You may be saying, well, Pastor Alice, that sounds so good to be true. That's the gospel. It's the one thing that sounds too good to be true, and it's true. He wants to forgive you. He wants to reconcile you to God the Father. So you take hold of his hands right now and surrender and submit your whole life to him. Christ is a solid rock. All other grounds is sinking sand. This is true. This, this message is also for the kids. You, you'll grow up and you may complain about your, me, but you'll never be able to accuse me of not sharing the gospel with you. So you may accuse me for other stuff, but the gospel has been preached here. 
And it's up to you on whether or not you want to receive it. His hands is there. Christ is always there. He's waiting on you. Will you come? When you come. And when you do come, when you do receive him, your prayers will no longer fall on silent ears. Because all Christians pray to a good and faithful do you believe that? The one true living God, Yahweh Elohim, a faithful and covenant-keeping God forever, and he knows what you need. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, do not be like the Gentiles, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. We don't, we don't approach God in prayer as if he's a wooden idol made by man's hands. We, we don't approach him in prayer like the Baal prophets using some, some form of technique to get his attention. We don't approach him with empty words and phrases. Our God hears our prayers because of who he is, not because of your prayer format and your prayer length, not because you close your eyes or open your eyes, not because you're on your knees or laying down or standing up. Not because you're a pastor or elder or deacon or lay leader or missionary. Every Christian has a direct line to God's ear. And are you using that direct line? You don't make your prayers effective and powerful. If you did, you would be God. Your Trinitarian God. So sometimes all you can pray is one word. And that's enough. All you can pray is a sentence. And that's enough because of your source, because of who he is. He hears the prayer. He is the reason your prayers are heard. You are not the reason. Believe that. He knows what you need. That's what Christ says here. He knows what you need before you even ask him. And when you when you read that, you should, should realize that as a father, that means your heavenly father is involved in your life. He's in tune with your life. Think about how many kids he got. He got a lot of kids. And yet he's in tune with every one of them. Every one of them equally without favoritism. So here's the question. Why pray if he already knows what we need? Why pray? Jesus says that he already knows what we need before we ask. Why pray? Is prayer just a redundancy? One of my seminary professors, um, he says, prayer releases blessings, changes lives, builds up churches, assaults the devil, brings revival to communities, even to nations. The cries of insignificant members of society can really have a transforming effect on that society. But do y'all believe this? Do y'all really believe this? Not just on Sunday morning, but right now in this season that we're in in America. Do you really believe when we pray until what's happening in our country and the world that it makes a difference? Not because of us because who we're praying to. Yeah, think about this. 
we're the only people who pray and our prayers are heard. We're not praying into emptiness. And yet we, many of us don't even pray. We don't pray into emptiness. We're praying to Yahweh Elohim. You get to come in for his presence without fear of judgment. It's a privilege to be able to stand before a holy God and commune with him in prayer. It is a privilege to be able to do that. And we're the only ones that have that privilege because of what Christ has done in us. So make use of it, saints. It ain't about the format. It ain't about the length. It's about here. Your heart. Your heart. There is no conflict between God knowing what you need and our prayer life. Because prayer really shows your dependency upon God the Father. That's what it shows. Because to me, prayer is you taking out the white flag before God and you saying, I surrender. That's what prayer is. Is you waving that white flag before the Father daily, saying to him, all right, Lord, I surrender again today. I surrender again this evening. You're surrendering the well-being and the flourishing of your life to him daily. Because you're going to we're dependent beings. We are. We depend upon things for our existence. We're not self-existing people. So you waving that white flag to him or you waving it to something. So who are you surrendering to? Who are you submitting to? Prayer is a way of holiness. Practice it, saints. The late Coretta Scott King once said, prayer is how we open our hearts to God. It's how we make that vital connection that empowers us to overcome overwhelming obstacles and become instruments of God's will. She says, I'm more convinced than ever before that prayer gives us the strength and hope and a sense of divine companionship as we struggle for justice and righteousness. Those words are facts. No lies detected. Prayer gives strength and hope, a sense of divine companionship. Prayer is for you. It's not for God. <laughs> it's not for him. It's a blessing for you. It's his good. It's something he gives you. You think he's, if you don't pray, you think he's up in heaven wondering, I wonder why Alex ain't praying today. No. He's God all by himself. He's, he fulfilled it himself. My prayers don't make him who he is. Prayer is for your benefit. It's for your flourishing. So pray. Saints. Pray. Prayer is a way of wholeness. And Jesus shows us the way of wholeness in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. He gives us, he gives us now a, a positive aspect of prayer for his people. He says, pray like this. Don't pray like that, but pray like this. Pray this way. Pray the Lord's prayer. This prayer is a way of wholeness. And this prayer does two things. First, it, 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 first it, it shows us it's, it's God-exalting and God-honoring. It's God-centered. And second, it deals with us petitioning to God to meet certain needs in our life. That's what the prayer does. So you can spend the rest of your life praying this prayer, and that's all you need. 
You can pray that prayer the rest, the Lord's prayer the rest of your life. But will we? This where prayer begins with exalting and honoring God. It acknowledges God as both personal and majestic, close to us, yet far from us. Look at verse 9b and 10. He says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus shows us that God is personal by calling him father. Father. That's again, that is not by accident. You're praying to a father. And that means, think about it, a father is a person. A person. Another theologian says to be a person implies implies the capability of being in a relationship with others. A person implies the capability of being in a relationship with others. God wants to be in relationship with you. And when you pray, that's you spending time with him. That's what that is. It's spent, you spending time with your father. And with, even within the Trinity, there's a relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so there is a relationship between you and the Trinitarian God. God wants to be your father, and he wants y'all to be his beloved children, beloved sons, and beloved daughters. These are all amen statements, man. Do I need to pull out the flag, the, the sign again? Are you excited about God being your father? <laughs> Are you excited about that? Are you excited about being the beloved? Good parents, they strive to have healthy and intimate relationships with their kids. They also try to support their kids and, and their dreams and, and their ideas. But their intimacy and support of their kids should not come at the expense of their kids' respect for their parents. Do I need to say that again? Your intimacy and support of your kids should not come at the expense of your kids' respect for you. And the same is true in your relationship with God the Father. So he's personal. He can be known, but he's also majestic. Jesus tells us, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our God is imminent. That means he's close to us. And also transcendent. That means he's above us. That means he's close and far off. He's beyond and above us as human beings. He's the sovereign creator and Lord of the universe. You see, human beings, we are limited in everything. We don't know everything. We do not. We are limited by space, time, and knowledge, and powers, and abilities because we're finite creatures with many limitations who are stained by the fall. Our God, on the other hand, has no limits. He's infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing. He exists outside of time and our world. He transcends everything. This means God can be known personally and relationally, but he cannot be fully comprehended. He cannot be fully comprehended. It's like your mind couldn't take it. That's a mercy. That's a mercy. You could not take if God allowed you to see his fullness. Because what did he tell Moses? You can't see my presence and live. You can't see me and live. 
We couldn't take it. But he condescends to us so, so that we can know him. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves you. Paul says in Romans eleven thirty two, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How impossible is it for us to understand his ways. We cannot. The best theology still falls short of God's glory. Because some of us worship our theology. But you have not fully comprehended God in your theology. Because if you have, that means you're on the same level as him. Now, come on. Come on. Come on. Get down. Come down here with the rest of us. And look up. You ain't up there. You down here with us. The words, hallowed be your name, it reminds us that, that there's a great level of respect that we must show our heavenly father. To hallow his name means we treat him as holy. We honor, we honor and exalt him as God. We hallow his name in prayer by praising him for who he is and for his mighty deeds. Another theologian, Sinclair Ferguson, says, we do not live in intimacy with God in a way that destroys our reverence for him. We do not live in intimacy with God in a way that destroys our reverence for him. Intimacy with God and reverence for God go together. They go together. They're not separate. They are together. He's personal and he's majestic. And we got to honor and, and worship him and exalt him as both. But do we? Reverence and intimacy go hand in hand when it comes to your God. Next, the way this way of prayer exalts and honors God for his kingship and rule. Look at verse 11. Christ tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These words petitions God to establish his kingdom, rule, and authority on earth as it is in heaven. Psalm 103, 19 says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. In the Hebrew, that means over all. When you pray your kingdom come and your will be done, you're saying what, what, what David says in 1 Chronicles 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. All that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted and head above all. Both riches and honor comes from you, and you rule over all. In your hands are the power and might, and in your hands it is to make great and to give strength to all. When you pray that petition, this is what you're actually saying to God. That is what you're actually saying to God. These words... In verse 11, or a petition for Jesus to reign in your life freely and willingly without you fussing and complaining about it. When you become a Christian, you're no longer the king or queen of your life. You are, you have been dethroned. If you think you can become a Christian and still stay on the throne, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. Because eventually he's gonna he gonna he gonna he gonna pull those hands apart. So I say, I save you the stress and the frustration. Just go ahead and open them. You'd be so much joyful. 
Because you cannot live with him as a son and daughter and not expect him to tell you what to do. Not expect him to give direction to your life. So when you say your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, this is not just some general statement. You are saying that about the very life that you live. You are saying your will be done in my relationship, Lord. Your will be done in my marriage. Your will be done in my career. Your will be done in my finances, in my family, in my church, in my time, in my health, or whatever. That is what you're praying for your life, not for other people. This is for you. You're praying for him to bring healing and and restoration to our fallen world. You're praying for him to bring justice and truth and righteousness and peace to the earth. You're praying for him to bring COVID-19 under control. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You're praying for him to restrain the bad intentions of radical people in our country. Because people are crazy. And they act the food. Don't forget about what happened in January. Pray into that stuff. Labor in prayer for that. For him to lead and guide this new administration. Do you pray for, the, for those in the White House? Pray for him to draw sinners to himself and to save in faith. Do you pray for the lost? You pray for your lost friends, your lost family members, your lost kids. Do you pray for his kingdom and will to be done in their life as it is in heaven? Do it be done in their life too. Pray that thing. Pray it up. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not our kingdom and not our will. For some of us, If we're honest, we're building our own little kingdom. A kingdom unto ourselves. But that kingdom is going to fall. It's a house of cards. It's only a matter of time. And for you kids, you're young now. Don't build a house of cards as you grow up. It's going to fall. It's only a matter of time. Jesus is your foundation. Come to him. You have so much joy in your walk if you get an understanding of that now. Can y'all pray this prayer from the heart and mean it? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In verses 11 through 15, our Savior makes a transition. He transitions to now the petitions we offer to God for our needs because we're dependent upon him. First, we petition him to meet our daily needs. Look at verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. When you all pray that petition, each of you are acknowledging that y'all know who is truly providing all the things you have and all the things that you need. Like that, that you should be, that's you acknowledging it is more than just being an American. It's more than just your education. It's more than just your right connections. You're acknowledging that it's God's provision that provides for you. Because at any moment, he can take it away. Any moment, he can. His hands are the hands that feed you. So don't bite the hands that feed you, saints. you got to understand, even the unbelievers benefit from daily bread. Because they're image bearers. And they don't even know it. They still benefit from that. 
So all your daily bread comes from your heavenly father. It doesn't come from you or any other source. It doesn't come from anything else. He may use other things, but it's ultimately him who's doing it. Human beings are holistic creatures. And what I mean by that is that we're spiritual, we're physical, we're emotional, we, we're intellectual, and we're social, we're social creatures. That's how God created us. He just didn't create us as spiritual beings and physical beings. We're also emotional, intellectual, and social. We're holistic creatures, and we have needs in each of those areas. Amen. So when you're asking God to give you your daily bread, you are asking him to meet needs in each of those areas of your life. Meet my spiritual needs, Father. Meet my physical needs. Meet my emotional needs. Meet my intellectual needs. Meet my social needs. Meet those needs, Father. Meet them. Martin Luther says, he's a, one of the old saints, daily bread was a symbol for everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, kids, good government, and peace. It's everything you need to flourish. Summed up in one phrase, give us this day our daily bread. Do you pray that prayer daily? Do you believe the Father cares about every single area of your life as a beloved son and daughter? Do you believe that? Or do you think it's only the big stuff? He wants to redeem your whole person, your whole being. He wants to mold it more into the image of Christ. And we have a good word. It says he who began that good work in us will bring it to completion in their Christ Jesus. Again, do you believe that? None of us are where we want to be, but you're not where you used to be either. We're all a work in progress. And so we got to learn to enjoy the journey more so than focusing on the destination. As Christians, we know what the destination is. I mean, that's, that's, that's luck. That, that's going to happen. So we got to learn to enjoy the journey that's, that we're headed towards. Enjoy the journey, saints. Enjoy it. If you can't enjoy it, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to enjoy it, the journey that God has you on. Give us our daily bread. Provide and bless our whole person. Give our whole being all the necessities of life. And sometimes that prayer is answered in ways that's unexpected. That people are suffering. People have lost jobs. People have lost businesses. People have lost loved ones. So they are real needs. You have real needs. And God is listening. He will come. Might not be when you want him, but he's coming. It might not come in the way you want it, but he's coming. He will come. Trust him more than your circumstances. Trust him more than your feelings. Your feelings are not always reflective of reality. And your feelings does not dictate who your God is. Scripture has already told you. The Scripture has already told you. He's listening. He's good. He's faithful. He ain't always going to feel like that. It ain't always, you ain't always going to sense that. That's why you need other Christians to help remind you of the things you can't see and believe in the moment. That's why you need the church. That's why you need community. The communion of saints is part of your daily bread. 
and many of us don't eat that bread. We have that luxury in America. It's optional to be part of the community here because of the country we live in. But if persecution ever comes, y'all going to be huddling together like roaches. When you're going to win, you're going to really need one another. Don't let your freedom here curse the blessing that God has already given you. Don't curse it. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Eat from his hand. Eat from it daily. One hymn says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs we bet to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not take everything to God in prayer. Take it to him. How many of you are familiar with the legal phrase, plead the fifth? A person who says, I plead the fifth, is actually exercising a, 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 a right granted to that person by the U.S. Constitution. You see, the Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, it grants you the right against self-incrimination. So the, the amendment says no person shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. So you can plead the fifth, saints and guests. You can exercise that right. And similarly, Jesus calls us to plead the fifth in the Lord's Prayer. We're to plead the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, which is different from the Fifth Amendment, because in this petition, you are witness against yourself. You do self-incriminate yourself when you plead the fifth fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. It says, forgive us of our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do you plead the fifth? Do you plead the fifth? Or did you think you were still without sin? There's no need for due process because even as Christians, we still fall short of God's glory. So we plead the fifth because we still battle sin as believers. We sin against God and others and other people sin against us. But here's the good news. When we self-incriminate, God's mercy exonerates every time. Still. When we plead the fifth, it's a plea for the provisions of God's unlimited mercy and our ongoing battle with sin. It's a plea for the provision of, of, of forgiveness. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who have, who have sinned against us. But now when you read verse 11, along with verses 14 and 15, if you forgive others that trespasses you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others that trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive yours. Now, condition appears to be attached to this provision. This, it is um, forgiveness of God. The apparent uh, c- uh, condition seems to say, if you don't forgive other people, then God ain't going to forgive you. What does Jesus mean here? What does he mean here? First, the forgiveness here is not dealing with the initial forgiveness given at the point of salvation. That's not what this is. This is not a prayer of salvation. That's not what he's talking about. The forgiveness of debts and the forgiveness of our trespasses is in the context of, a, of the restoration of a personal fellowship with God that has been hindered by sin. Please know that when you fall into sin today as a Christian, it still hinders your relationship with him. doesn't mean you're cut off. It means fellowship still needs to be restored. When my kids sin against me, when my son sins against me, he does not stop being my son. But the relationship Got to be restored. 
when you sin against God, you don't stop being his kid. Okay? You don't lose your salvation. But when you come and ask for forgiveness, communion and fellowship is being restored. That's what it means. And second, there is a relationship between the forgiveness we receive from the, from the Father and the forgiveness we extend to others. I mean this. What happens to a person who holds on to hate? What does an unforgiving spirit do to a person? It weighs you down, man. It binds you to your own sin. It blinds you to your own sin. It becomes a big burden. Eats away at your soul. It chips away at your peace of mind. Your whole being, you feel like you're trapped in the present cell. And the father knows what an unforgiving spirit can do to his kids. So when you truly forgive someone who has hurt you and betrayed you and wounded you to the core of your being, it sets you free from what they have done to you. You forgiving them ain't for them, it's for you. It sets you free. Again, because forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Jesus is saying forgiveness. And that is for your benefit, for your well-being, for your flourishing. It sets you free from the sins of other people. So if there's someone that you need to forgive, and that if you have an unforgiving spirit this morning, then ask the spirit to put you on the journey of it. Because we know some things are easier to forgive than others. Let's just be real about it. And I don't, I, I shared this with you before. When, when people are coming and talking to me with forgiveness, I do not want them to bring up the story of Joseph and his brothers. Because it ain't like he saw those knuckleheads the next day. Years pass. You let my siblings sell me into slavery and then come up and ask for forgiveness. Like, you better get out of my face. It was years later when he saw them again. And God had done a good work in his heart. So he brought him to a place where he can forgive them. So for some of you, it's, Lord, just put me on the journey so that maybe I can get to that place where I can forgive so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so because I know that you forgive me daily for the sins I still commit. After 30 years of labor as an apostle and with his death soon approaching, the apostle Paul tells Timothy that he's already been poured out like a drink offering and the time for his departure has come. He says to Timothy, I have, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And, and what could have led Paul to make such a bold claim? What, what, what could have led him to say, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race and I, I have kept the faith? You see, Paul knew this life was a battle. Do you know that? So he fought and persevered through it. He knew how to take up arms and fight. But at the same time, he was always under the banner of God's protection. Even while ministering in Asia, he was under the great pressure and that he was even despaired of life. And he felt in his heart the sentence of death. But God delivered him from such a deadly threat. You see, in a real sense, as he fought the good fight, as he finished the race, and as he kept the faith, he did it all under the shadow of God's protective wings. Amen, saints. And I ask, and like him, we need God's protection as we live life in this world. 
as you fight the good fight, as you finish the race marked out for you, and as you keep the faith you profess, you need God's protection to do that. We need his daily protection over us. And with the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer, we're petitioning God for just that, his protection to be over us as we face the daily temptations and daily deal with the arrows of the enemy. We cry out, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This final petition is an acknowledgement of our dependency upon God's deliverance and protection in the daily temptations that we face. Notice the prayers lead us not into temptation, meaning strengthen us so that we won't give into it. It's not, don't let me be tempted at all. Now, you can pray that prayer all you want to. That ain't going to get answered because you're going to face temptation. I don't care how holy you think you are. You will face temptation. No amount of prayer is going to stop that. James says each, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own sin. Temptation itself is not a sin, but it turns to sin when, when you give into it in your heart and then with your actions. Temptations are an enticement to sin. They, 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 the goal is to steal away your affections and your, your dependency from the Father. They, they, and the temptations are tied to every area of life. Do you know that? Every situation, every circumstance, every system, every relationship. Both adversity and prosperity can be a temptation to entice you to sin. We're always looking for the man in the red suit and the pitchfork. Sometimes God's blessings can also tempt you to flee from God because you end up worshiping the blessing more than the correct giver. So ask the Father through the Holy Spirit to give you strength to daily resist the temptations that are common to all men. What are you currently being tempted, tempted with? What, what are you currently being tempted with? What blessing of God are you tempted to use and worship more so than him? We all have them. The best advice I got when I was younger, it was from my, one of my mentors back in South Carolina. He says, Alex, you got to get to a place where you don't trust yourself. And I'm there. I don't trust myself. So when you start trusting yourself, that's when you start getting in trouble. Don't trust yourself. Trust God. In this sixth petition, we're, we're also asking the Father to provide deliverance from the evil one. See, he's behind many of the temptations that, that come our way. And Jesus is reminding us, reminding us that spiritual warfare is real. It's real. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's a supernatural reality outside of what we see? Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's forces at play other than flesh and blood? The supernatural, the spiritual world is real. Spiritual warfare is real. And some of you are in the thick of it. He's letting us know that, that there are forces at work plotting against God's people. Do you please understand this? Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil. 
And so you have to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one daily. So remember, so be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise people making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Not days past. Not days in the future. Right now. At this moment. So pay attention to the things you entertain. Pay attention to the rabbit holes you go down on the Internet. Pay attention to the conspiracy theories you follow. Because it can easily lead you away from Jesus. Because it sounds good. It sounds truthful. But it's not. Pay attention to what you read, listen to, and who you follow on social media. The word says Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. And his servants masquerades as servants of righteousness. Be careful. Because everything that sounds like gospel isn't gospel. See, see, if the enemy came, like I said, in red and a pitchfork, that's obvious. But he's masquerading as, masquerading as an angel of light. He's his servants masquerading as servants, masquerading as servants of righteousness. You mean I can be around people in the church? I could be around people in Christian circles, and one of them could be a devil. Yes, that's exactly what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. We're so often looking out what's coming into the church and fail to see what the heck is happening in it. We're so afraid of this way out here, like, you know, critical race theories. Some people are scared of that. But we don't deal with what's in-house. He don't always come in the obvious. He comes very subtly. And if you are not in tune with the spirit, and if you are not praying like this, then you will not have eyes to see. The enemy doesn't care how you fall. He just wants you to fall. If ministry would do it, then it'd be ministry. If a social media platform would do it, so he'll help you build it. He don't care what it is as long as you fall and move away from God. And you ain't strong enough to resist it. So that's why you got to be praying daily. Lord, don't leave me in the temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. Don't give. Don't let me give into my own my, my own sinful nature. Help me notice where I am in the battle. And give me what I need to to fight and to engage. Open up my eyes so that I can see what is actually happening. I'm going to close with this quote from another Presbyterian theologian. And please listen to this because it's, it's really good. I got this from his commentary on James. He says, we must come to the conclusion but according to the Bible, a trial constitutes the same as a temptation and a temptation at the same time a trial. That is to say, in any interaction or confrontational confrontation externally with a specific person, word, action, event, or circumstance, or internally with one's own makeup, which God has planned as a trial, Satan exploits at the same time as a temptation 
and vice versa. In other words, God and Satan, listen to this, God and Satan enlist the same means at the same time and in the same way. What God always means for the good for his kids, Satan as well always means for evil. I hope you understand what he's saying here. And that's very deep. So you're saying my family was God and meant for my good. Satan will use it for evil. Yes. You mean my job here as, as a minister, what God meant for good, Satan can export for evil. Yes. We overlook the obvious because we're looking for some great big trick from him and forget to see what's right in front of our noses. Look what's under your nose, saints. Look what's under your nose. And my prayer is that as you go out this week, I encourage and challenge each of you that are here, each of you who are on Facebook, to pray the Lord's Prayer this week. Just pray it daily. Pray it at night. Pray it in the morning daily. And let the Holy Spirit use that to encourage you, to strengthen you, to sharpen you. And he will use that. So lead us down to temptation, but deliver us from all evil. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this way of prayer. That we don't have to have, you know, an essay when we come to pray to you. We don't have to have a book. We don't have to have a dissertation. Lord, we can just offer up one word, one sentence, like help my unbelief. Like give us this day our daily bread. Like forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. Like lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so wonderful, Lord, that we can... We, we, we sometimes we don't even know what we what to pray, but the spirit, Romans 8 said the spirit, you know, prays for us. He intercedes for us with, with groaning and words that we can't even make out. So so even when we don't know what to, to pray, the, the advocate is praying on our behalf. But, look, but we got it so good. And we are a kept people if we really think about it. So my prayer is that you, Holy Spirit, that you will give us an excitement about prayer, that you renew our passion for prayer, that we would not see it as work or a duty, but we would see it as communion and fellowship with our dad. You have to change that in us, Holy Spirit. We can't do it within ourselves. And I pray that you would do that for our benefit and for the glory of our God and King. In Christ's name that I pray. Amen.